Hey guys, there is a big gig coming up for Niagara Moon next month. On Sunday, September 10th at Tractor Tavern in Ballard, we are opening for Glass Frames at their EP release show. The other bands playing that night are Northern Nomads, Bear Axe, and there will also be a DJ set by Carmaic. Tickets are $8, and if you order in advance online, for an extra $4, you get a download of their EP, too. The show starts at 8 p.m. and is 21+. plus. Again, that's September 10th at the Tractor Tavern, 8 p.m. You can buy tickets via the link I put in the episode description. Hope to see you there. You are listening to Talking About the Passion. I'm Thomas Irwin. This is a podcast where I interview different independent musicians and showcase their music. As for myself, I'm a singer-songwriter and producer who goes by Niagara Moon. You can look up more about my own music at niagaramoonmusic.com. For episode 34, we have Joey Lyon. Joey is a vocalist, guitarist, and leader of the Seattle experimental rock band Glass Frames. Other members include Ian Curtis on bass and guitar, Travis Corwin on guitar and keys, and Stephen Hertogs on drums. Joey and Ian started Glass Frames about two years ago, and those two years of hard work, writing, practicing, and recording are about to pay off with the release of their new self-titled EP at The Tractor on September 10th. Before we get into the interview, I'm proud to be premiering their brand new song, Trailblazer.
How long has Glass Frames been a thing? Glass Frames has been a thing, I believe we started in like September or October of 2015, so almost two years now. Um, only two of the members are left of the original. We've uh, replaced the drummer once, we replaced the guitarist twice. So that's been interesting. I'm really happy with the lineup we have now. Um, I feel like everybody's just a lot more on board, a lot more committed, a lot more excited. The songwriting's getting more collaborative. Our bassist is demoing a song every week right now. Um, our guitarist is doing something similar. And then I just have this crazy backlog log of songs that I can always bring. Um, but so having a, enough material is definitely not our problem right now. Great. So that's cool. Um, right now it's just kind of like, okay, what do we do first, right? Do we do, we want to do the EP release, which we're doing in a couple of weeks. We are, you know, then we're like, do we want to do a music video? Do we want to do some singles? You know, cause we want to do an LP as soon as possible, mm. but yeah. Cause you got the songs for it. Yeah, we have a lot of songs right now. We have 11 songs that we play every week that everyone knows that we feel really good about. We played those at the last show, back to back to back to back. So, you know, that's some of those songs are on the EP, but we have some other things that we're working on. And it's just kind of the nature of the beast where you end up being, you're thinking about and kind of starting to work on projects B and C and D before project A is even out, which is a mm. little maddening. Gets a little overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, it's a good place to be. I'd rather do that than be sitting on my hands because there's so much waiting anyway. You know, you got to wait for the mixing, which takes weeks. You got to wait for the mastering, which takes a long time sometimes, you know. And you got to wait for everyone to be available to do the stuff, you know. Like, let's not do it summer. Summer's busy. Let's do it in the fall. And so for me... As someone who, you know, really tries to spend several hours a day on this stuff, I run out of things to do, you know, where before I'm waiting for other people. So I'm not just going to do nothing or mm -hmm. just play my guitar in my bedroom all day. I'm going to write stuff. I'm going to yeah. see what's next. I'm going to put out feelers for things. Get and, the ball rolling. Yeah. I kind of do that to a fault sometimes, but I think I'm kind of finding a more sustainable rhythm right now where I have the time that I'm investing, but I'm not driving myself nuts like i find the breaks and the inspiration that i need you know in the day and stuff totally so that helps so what is your role in the band at this point you're the singer yes i'm the front man principal songwriter like i said people have been um it's been more collaborative um all the lyrics thus far have been by me um and then the majority of the songs at least the initial riffs and overall like chord structure and stuff is from me um the whenever i bring the songs though they take on a completely new life and i'm really happy about i genuinely feel like every glass frame song has fully uh achieved like this escape velocity where it's beyond something that i would have been able to do mm. you know and I, I think that always has to happen you know it has to be bigger than one person um even even great artists like the shins for you know for example it's like james mercer right but their bass player is amazing you know she has her own project deep sea diver like she's obviously yeah, yeah. like had it been a huge influence on the sound of the band and it wouldn't be the same without her you know i'm really happy about that and it's fun to see the song grow and and change and evolve and all that but yeah so i'm kind of the front man guy 
I play guitar mostly, do some keys on some songs, some bass on some songs. And uh, you originally formed two years ago, just kept your bassist? Yeah. I take it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Ian, Ian Curtis. Mm-hmm. So how'd you guys all find each other? Yeah, it's been interesting. So um, Ian and I went to school together, um, got really close just with being in music classes together and ended up going to the same church and all this stuff. And, you know, he's somebody that's always at my birthday parties. We get together and go out for beers or whatever. Um, and then um, originally we also had two of my really good friends, Brian Fisher and Jake Thatcher in the band as guitar and drums um, respectively and then they just kind of got caught up in life you know adulting and all that stuff and their own music projects and things like that so they end up going their separate ways um and jake was cool because he had a drummer in mind he was like hey like i don't want to slow you guys down you know oh, i know he came this with guy. a replacement yeah he's like i know this guy steven hertog's like he you guys should definitely play with him he'll be committed he'll be like he's super talented all this stuff and so the next band practice he just came what's really funny is wow. i didn't realize this um, we never told him because it was like, oh, come in and let's try it out. Let's see if it's a good fit. It's kind of like an audition thing. You know what I mean? We didn't use the term audition, but um, we had him. And apparently we never told him that he was officially in the band. We just never told him that he was out. So he just kept coming. <laughs> <laughs> so there was like several kept months later when he was like, just so you guys know, you never told me I was in the band, but I'm still here. So I'm assuming that I'm in. <laughs> You know, we had already like recorded a single together and like done a few shows and everything, so that was pretty funny. So then, when Brian left, we um, I had gotten coffee um, with with my good friend Luke Colbertson, and we were hanging out in Ballard, and we were talking about my band that I just started, and he was talking about you know just kind of coming out of this tough time in life and how he's kind of having more time now, and we were Goodwill shopping, just checking out stuff. We had just gotten coffee, and I was like, dude, why don't you just come play with us? Like, what am I, like what am I thinking? You know, I didn't this occur to me before. It was like he was standing right in front of me. And, um, yeah, he ended up, like, make, being hugely influential on the sound of the band, both by introducing me to a lot of bands that have come to be, like, some of my favorite artists and that have been really, like, kind of helped me have more of a vocabulary for saying, okay, this is the sound that we're going for. You know, these are the bands that we're connected to and that kind of coming up with a cohesive thing because... Um, I think that's hard and, and takes time. So he was really helpful with that. And then he produced this record, this EP, you know, he, he accomplished a lot of the goals that we had and a lot of the visions that we had, you know, he knew how to get the guitars to sound like my bloody Valentine. You know what I mean? Mm. That's something we wanted to do, but it's like, how do you do that? He's like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll just <laughs> do this reverse delay thing. And you know, right in the amp and then I'll th- throw some reverb on there. And then you like him and you're like, Whoa. That's that's it. That's it's an important sound. skill to have. Yes. Yeah. In, totally. In the shoegaze I'm, business. I'm much more of an ideas guy, and I'm like this is what I want to happen. I I kind of hear it in my head, but he really knows how to accomplish that, and he has you know a lot of vision his own self. Uh, but yeah, he's really focusing on his project Lofty Stills, which he did a Kickstarter for and recorded an LP over in Nashville that's coming out in oh, October. Nice. Yeah, people should definitely check that out. It's super cool. So he's been focusing on that. Um, And so my friend Travis Corwin, who I'm a music teacher um, a few days a week over um, on the east side, and we're just, you know, neighbors. He taught guitar lessons next door to me. We just kind of 
hit it off, and he invited me to this really cool thing at Velocity Dance Center where he and his band were playing live music for, like, the dancers. And it was this really trippy avant-garde, like, rock thing, really cool, really intricate, interesting, a lot of cool textures. And my favorite thing about it was he was just rocking out the whole time. You know, he was moving as much as, if not more than, the dancers. So that was pretty cool. And so I was like, yeah, I definitely want to work with this guy. And, you know, he learned all of our songs, like, super-duper fast. He's already writing new stuff. He's, you know, handling a lot of the admin work and picking up some of my slack with that. So it's just been really cool how everything that has been needed for this band has been provided for somewhere, you know, and not where somewhere I could have expected or predicted or anything, and I think that's cool. Totally. Yeah, you got a good team. Mm-hmm. So who came up with the name Glass Frames? Was that your idea too? Yeah, it was my idea, but I feel like I can't really take credit for it because, again, it was just kind of like right in front of me. Um, Luke and I were in Portland just kind of taking a day trip um, or a weekend trip. We were just hanging out, um, going to like Old Town Music, which is like a super rad guitar store down there. That's tax-free, which is pretty rad. Mm. <laughs> you have to buy some pedals there when you go. Um, and... Yeah, so we were just hanging out, and then we were driving home, and my car broke down, which sucked. So we ended up getting stuck in, like, Corvallis or something random like that. I can't even remember. And um, we were at, like, a, you know, old-timey diner having breakfast, and we had been talking about band names for months, you know. And, yeah, I mean, so he's, like, you know, one of the members has already been replaced in the band. I think maybe even two of them had, and so we still didn't have a name yet. And, um, yeah, it was just, we were just eating breakfast. I looked over at him and he was wearing these, like his, his glasses that are like clear framed. And the, the term glass frames popped into my mind. And then like, I, I kind of took that literally in a different way. Like what, what would a glass frame mean? And I got this like really like, like shockingly vivid image in my mind of like this house that's built into a cliff and it has those like skeleton frames underneath where it's usually like out of wood or whatever. It's almost like a Mm -hmm. platform that's built underneath it that has like V shapes and angles to connect it to the cliff. But I was picturing the frame of it, that bottom part being made out of glass. And it just like gave me this like chilling, like intrigue. Artistic inspiration. Yeah. So that's, that's what a glass frame is to me, you know? And what I picture when I think about it. It's just something cool to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A good name typically just evokes some interesting imagery. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and hopefully the the band kind of, then the name of the band starts to drift away, further and further away from what it meant at the beginning and mm-hmm. more starts to stand alone as like a new yeah. an idea, right? Like Evolves into something else. Yeah. Like hopefully one day when people think glass frames, they don't think of their glasses or of that, even that initial image I was talking about, hopefully they think of like these songs, you know, that's the idea. Yeah. With Radiohead, you're not thinking of literally someone with a radio for a head. (laughs) I do sometimes. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I don't know. I think about the weird, like evil grinning face that they use as like the creepy bear thing, mouse thing, whatever. Think about that or like the album cover of the Benz or something. Totally. Yeah, this that's that's a good example, meaning. you know, or, or Talking Heads, you know, is another. Yeah, yeah. And then like Wilco, for example, sounds like a freaking grocery store or like <laughs> steel mill or something like yeah. that. But I don't think of those things. I think of, you know, just good rock music. Totally. So was the musical vision of the band going in uh, much different than it is now? Or you were always like, this is the sort of style we, we want to try to do? Yeah, great question. I think that it has solidified and coagulated and strengthened you know all those all those things like it was sort of this 
you know, like maybe the chemical makeup of it was the same in a lot of ways because it's the the sound of it has always been sort of melancholy, um, very raw, and it had like a little like tinge of darkness to it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I I feel like a bit of an exotic flavor because I've always really liked that sort of spice route sound, some of the more modal, you know, like Phrygian mode, where it kind of sounds like something that would come, you know, across from North Africa into Spain, that kind of sort mm-hmm. of sound. And uh, so that's always kind of been there. But it's, like I said before, about like the vocabulary and how to execute those sounds. Um, and I, I think for the most part, the like the color has stayed the same, but maybe the textures have changed. And and um, so it's like, you know, using these same modal, these sort of sounds, but like, okay, how to really get the the grooves with the drums, how to, yeah. how to, how much to use, like how much to sprinkle the electronic elements, stuff like that. Yeah. You, uh, you got some very heavy and dialed in guitars Thank you. to start. It's really a very concrete sonic structure. You guys seem to have, uh, taken your time to develop that aspect of your, your music. Thank you. That means a lot. I appreciate that. Um, when you, uh, perform, how many uh, pieces of gear do you have to to schlep? <laughs> yeah, so that thing has um, varied wildly. Um, we this last show definitely made the most sense that we've ever done. Between three people playing guitar, we only had three guitars total, so that was good. The practice before the show, we were using four and five guitars and three basses. That's an awful lot. Yeah, and it, I was like, I was at practice. I was like, you guys. We can't be doing this, you know what I mean? It's not like we have a guitar tech off stage, you know what I mean? We can't, and it's just ridiculous, and it's too much to tune, honestly, and too much stuff that can tip over on a stand, you know what I mean, which has happened. And um, actually, one time, we were playing um, at the back bar at the Crocodile on May Day of all days, I feel like it is appropriate, Mm. and... um, I had this MIDI keyboard and it's it's 88 keys and it's fully weighted. It's very heavy and I had mm. it on like a keyboard stand yeah, like yeah. that you put a this is totally my own fault. But you put like a little like, you know, right. whatever. It wasn't up to the 30 task. key thing. Yeah. No, it was not it was not durable enough. We were like, "Oh, it'd be good if we had sandbags in here." So we asked for if they had sandbags or whatever, which would have helped if they didn't have it, whatever. And um yeah, so just at one point I was playing and then I stepped away from the keyboard and it just like and uh, there's a picture of it on, on our Instagram of this tambourine that got obliterated into like pieces. <laughs> um, so we don't want that to happen to our awesome fretless bass or anything like that. So yeah, we ended up like getting more stripped down. So we play uh, the last show we did my Ibanez Talman, which is kind of like a shoegazy surfy guitar, and then we had like a really nice Les Paul standard, and then we had. Uh, a fretless jazz bass and a P bass. And then, and so um, Ian and I were kind of swapping that back and forth. And then we had this really cool um, mini log. I want to say it's by Moog. Yeah, that's a Moog. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a Moog and mini log thing. That's really cool. Um, sounds great. And it's really, really small and compact and light. Um, not going to tip over. Um, so we had that. And I played that on um, three songs, three or four. Travis is just like his his setup is like really streamlined. He just has his he has this really wacky guitar that I've never heard of. It's called like a Vester or something like that. Kind of kind of looks like an Ibanez like from the '90s a little bit, but not. 
is a, you know not like a screamer you know it's mm-hmm. not annoying uh, it's not like a metal guitar but it has a tremolo anyway he has that and then we have the pearl drum kit which is just a beater drum set that works and it has like a huge kick that's bigger than it needs <laughs> to be <laughs> so we've we stripped it down like i said and for, for four people playing modern music i feel like that's pretty doable of course we have two pedal boards which i th- i think we're pretty tasteful with the pedal board i don't think we go overboard literally you know <laughs> yeah i mean um you guys kind of call yourselves uh, shoegaze mm-hmm. and that term came about apparently because there's a bunch of guitarists just gazing at their shoes the whole time because they had so many uh, pedals to maneuver right and i mean for back then like it's not like you know you go and see um blonde redhead for example and it's it is like a rocket ship and there's you know 20s more more than 20 pedals but like a lot of guitar pedals back then you know for like slow dive or whatever was not that many not not what a lot of us are playing at Hmm. like bar gigs now i feel like yeah i was also gonna say i heard your music or at least some of your songs and there are elements of shoegaze in there but mm-hmm. i feel like you're doing a lot more than just that i mean you have a lot more dynamics it's more rhythmically driven i don't know mm-hmm. i feel like you're really influenced by uh, 90s alternative rock yeah there's definitely like some 90s sounds in there um of i think a lot of different 90s sounds honestly and a a lot of more modern sounds i mean metric is really big for me mute math is really big for me dredge is like really big for me more and more um i think of um this really great band from seattle a few years ago that broke up called the globes they were on barsook records that i like i saw them once and i was like oh my gosh who is this band um, and so that stuff is in there too. And I really, I think shoegaze is kind of like the attitude that we go for where it's very, there's a wall of sound and there's like scope Yeah. and it's very emotionally like evocative, you know, and I really try and get that sort of like an emotional soundscape going. Um, but I'd like to think that shoegaze has changed enough to like in the 20, you know, almost 30 years now, yeah, you know, 30 years. Yeah. 30 years, probably late eighties. So we're getting there. It's, it's definition could be looser maybe. And, um, I feel like I more so use the shoegaze term because I like those bands and because I, I think people who are looking for shoegaze music who find our music will be uh, like, it'll click. Yeah, 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 it will resonate with them. Mm. I think that more so than we are, because I mean, any genre is just like a game that you play. You know what I mean? And it's just like I want, I want something that even if it's not what I would think of our music as being, it's more so like what people are looking for and find it. Yeah, I yeah. Be. Use certain buzzwords to uh, get people's attention. I mean, there's only so many words you can use to describe a whole musical entity. In yeah, a totally. Quick, simple way. Yeah, so you do what you can, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of annoying how many of them there are too, and there's just like, it's like a game that people play, and I find myself falling into it where it's like kind of fun to like combine them. Like, oh, I'd call this band kind of like blue gaze, you know, because it's like blues and shoe gaze, you know. <laughs> just like uh... just creating new terms. So it's rock, yeah. <laughs> so are you and Ian both? from seattle originally you both grew up no neither of us are yeah he's from montana and i'm from california kind of near sacramento oh so you guys met we met here yeah okay yeah in seattle we're both transplants um let's see travis is from oregon and then steven steven's from here he grew up in issaquah over in south cove on lake so that's cool yeah it's funny i feel like 
if anything, I bring the most Seattle-ish kind of sound to the band, and I'm not from here. (laughs) I feel like I've grown up here, you know, and I've been obsessed with Seattle since high school, you know, because my sister lived up here and I would visit and... You know, I was listening to Death Cab and Fleet Foxes a lot, you know, in the early 2000s and all this stuff. Very, like, formative for me. So you came up here for the music? Really, yeah, totally. I mean, I just, the whole arts culture here, um, the program that they had at SPU that I wanted to do. Um, but, yeah, the plan was always, like, you know, I'm going to move to Seattle. I'm going to go to school for poetry, creative writing, and music composition, study both elements of music, you know, get a degree in both figure that out, and then just, like, stay there and do songwriting, do play in bands, figure it out. That's been the plan, and the plan has, like, really never changed, you know? What's crazy is that decision was, like, almost 10 years ago, and um, it's like, what has come of it, right? You know? I'm doing it, and that's what matters, but there's there's always this voice in your head of, like, was it worth it or whatever? I, t- I totally know it was. Yeah. Everybody gets lied to in their head, but... Yeah, I don't think that voice ever really goes away. No, no, it doesn't. You know, you you become Coldplay and then you wish that you were U2, you know what I mean? You become U2 and you wish that you were the Beatles and then... Or you're, you're the, Beatles the Beatles and you're like, I am way too famous. <laughs> this yeah. is a mistake, yeah. Exactly, yeah. It's like you don't even want to be yourself, so it's a circle. So do you have an earliest memory of listening to music? An earliest memory of listening to music. Sweet. I love this. A um, couple come to mind. One of the first times was, this is shameful, but I'm not, I'm not going to act all cool and act like it's not true. One of the first ones I remember is being at my grandma's house and watching Cartoon Network and seeing an ad on TV for Aaron's Party by Aaron Carter. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was his album. And um, I think that was the first album I ever bought. So there you go. Um, I also remember getting like really into the one album by the Beatles because that mm-hmm. was sort of all the songs. And I think I saw that one on TV too, like or at Target or something. And my dad and I would listen to it. And, you know, I think of, I remember that um, harmonica stuff on Love, Love Me Do and my dad and I getting harmonicas and playing in the car and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, probably if I really think about it, my first memories of music were at church you know and just like seeing like this guy earl play his stratocaster and being like whoa like i want to do that you know that's that's awesome that's so cool that's inspiring i want to do something like that and so like playing electric guitar in bands like that has always been huge for me you know for pretty much as long as i can remember so when did you actually start playing guitar his uh brother actually george um george paveo was my teacher yeah, he would just come over to my house and we'd hang out in my room when I was like 12 is when I started playing lessons. I, I wrote my parents a persuasive essay when I was eight to get a guitar for Christmas. And then I got one and then I was like, what do I do with this? I tried to learn some stuff on like CD-ROM, like lessons, you know, this is before YouTube, CD-ROM video lessons. And I was I was eight years old. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing here. So once I was 12, we got me lessons and that was like the perfect time too, because that was when I started listening to music more. I stopped being so into the like macho athlete thing that all the other like boys in school were doing, and I was like, "Wait, this is stupid." You know, I'll play my guitar and grow my hair out and wear girl pants, and that will that will be what I do instead. You became a hippie. <laughs> yeah, totally. That was a, that really, you know, like I said, when I was twelve and thirteen, just really took off. I started playing in bands a lot started um like we played this um 
variety show. And when I was 14, we played one song. And then when I was 16 or 17, I was in a different band and we were the house band for the variety show at my high school. And we played like 13 Beatles covers because it was Beatles themed. And so we did that. And then, yeah, sometime around there is when I started writing songs when I was 16. I really want to talk about that. I know you didn't ask about it, but it's just really funny for me to think about because there's this girl that I was like super into at the time, 16, and... um, I was over at her house and we were talking about something and she was like, um, she was talking about Radiohead and then she's like, wait, you've listened to them, right? And I was like, no. Like, oh, I think it was because her brother's band, I saw like a newspaper clipping that her mom had put on the fridge or whatever that is like, local band sounds like Coldplay or Radiohead. And then she's like, that doesn't even make sense because they're not the same band at all. They don't sound similar. And I was like, I don't even know, you know? So like on the spot, she like left, went into her computer, burned um, amnesiac and in rainbows for me and wrote on the on this disc you know in sharpie what the names were and um things totally did not work out with that girl at all which is totally cool you know um but what did work out was listening to that music right like i think the next day my parents and i were going on this road trip somewhere so i was just sitting in the back seat with my huge sony headphones and my like cd walkman and i just listened to them back to back both albums all the way through while like the California like countryside was like flying by my window and I was like, This is what music is supposed to be. Like what in the world? <laughs> it just clicks right there. Yeah, totally. Amnesiac's a weird one to start with too. Yeah, that one I re- I listened to that one first. I remember, I remember doing Amnesiac first and then in Rainbows and um I think the song that I was like really tripped out by um Pyramid Song for sure. But um all I need, like that organ part like the way the song builds and like the ending, the crescendo and stuff like really got me like gives me chills still thinking about it. Right. You know, if, if my band sounds like Radiohead, which I think it does, it's more, think, of, yeah, that, you got, it's more of that Ben's era, which is totally, funny because yeah. I did not listen to the Ben's until like a year and a half ago. So it's super weird. You know, I think the, some of the like flavor from Radiohead mixed with some of the other guitar band stuff that I yeah, had done. Yeah. Cause I never really got into the guitar band era of Radiohead until after glass frames was a thing. So it's just really funny to me hmm. that people are like, Oh yeah, you must listen to the men's. I was like, I do now. <laughs> I mean, some of those guitar tones, they're eerily similar. I yeah. Think. That I blame Luke on. That's, okay. That's so he's responsible him. for yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I like those sounds for sure. You know, who doesn't? Who doesn't like the sound of a telly plugged into a Marshall half stack in a, a church, you know, with 40 foot ceilings? Like, that's not going to sound bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So tell me about recording this EP that's coming up. You said you, everything was done in a church? Yeah. All the, all the parts were done there. We did. Um, so the only thing that wasn't done there was the drums. We went down to Tacoma and shelled out the money and played at uh, Pacific Studios did the drums there because we wanted the drums to sound right. Um, I wanted them to sound like that Globes band I was talking about, just like the floor tom, just like, you know, yeah. just really cavernous, really big. So we did that, and I'm really pleased with how that turned out. And then, yeah, we did all the guitars and stuff and the vocals in the church, and we set up a room mic really far away and then close mic'd everything else, and we just kind of were able to kind of play with the balance between those two with everything. Um, yeah, we did, like... I don't know, 15 sessions or something with the guitars and vocals because we just we had to do it a couple hours here and there because I worked nights, he worked days, Luke did, and um, we had to use the church when it was available. It was just crazy. It took took forever. It took months and months, you know, all of 2016 pretty much. 
And then, yeah, and it was it was super fun. We had we called in some favors and we were able to use like eight different amps, you know, five or six different guitars, just really try and find that sound that we wanted. And we ended up really settling on that thing that I said before. A lot of um, his Luke's 80s Les Paul. It's actually an Epiphone, which was really funny. It sounds so good. And then, yeah, my GNL ASAT, and we just played that in the half stack a lot. And we did a couple parts. Like, we got some clean tones, I think, off of a Les Paul into a Fender Twin, um, maybe some stuff from the Deluxe, too. But for the most part, it was just that one kind of magical, just that Marshall half stack able to be turned up for once. And not going on the screamy gain channel, but just kind of like halfway. So, yeah, it took a long time for sure. We did uh, a lot of the bass stuff line in actually, just into the, just directly into the interface and into the laptop, and we were able to get some great sounds with those. And Ian was able to take his time with them and really nail down those really intricate, slippery parts that he does. It's insane some of the things that he does. I don't know how he does it. <laughs> How his fingers move that fast. Yeah, and that precisely and everything, especially now that he has a fretless too because you got to worry about intonation and everything. So we didn't, we got the fretless after this EP, but it will definitely be highlighted a lot in the upcoming record that we'll do. And what's the EP called? Just Glass Self-titled, Frames? Self-titled, yeah, okay. Glass Frames. So it's your, your debut release aside from a few singles before that? Yeah, exactly. It's been a long time coming, two years for this thing. Yeah, we've been writing these songs ever since then, so it'd be good to have it out. And you're uh, celebrating the release with a show at the Tractor. Yeah, the Tractor Tavern here in Seattle on, on Ballard Ave. Really excited. We haven't played there before. We've been wanting to for a long time. and um, It's a big venue. Yeah, it's super cool. Hope hope a lot of people come out and, and we fill it up a little bit. We'll be definitely be posting a lot of virtual and physical things about it. And yeah, we're really excited. It's just this, it's going to be this really cathartic moment. And I know the catharsis will fade like probably the next day. It'll be like, oh crap, there's a bunch of more crap I need to do. But it's always short lived. Yeah, but I really want to enjoy that. And that night, you know, we're just going to rock out so much because it's just like it's finally out. And it's cool too. We're able to um, work this thing out with the tractor where if you buy the pre sale ticket, you get the EP as well, um, just for a couple bucks more. It's like, half the price or something of what it would have been so that's really cool we're glad that we're able to work with them on that and that they gave us a good night and everything awesome mm-hmm. yeah i really look forward to uh, opening for you guys yeah it'll be awesome i'm looking forward to see you guys live too it's like a really great lineup it's all bands that i really like and people that i know and I'm becoming friends with more and more so it'll be really cool and Carmaic is doing some dj sets um he's down in vancouver washington and we did a collaborative track together. That's, oh, yeah, um, yeah, you sent me that. Yeah, Carmaic. so that would be cool. It sounds really rad. It's so beyond, you know, talk about escape velocity getting beyond me. This got beyond glass frames, got beyond, like, genre or, like, you know what I mean? It's it's this transcendent piece of work that he did. It's really cool. I give him all the credit for it. I mean, he used some of our raw tracks and everything, but what he did is just super cool. Yeah, look forward to all that. Me too. All right, Joey, thanks for stopping by. Of course, thanks for having me. Yeah, this is great. That was Joey Lyon, the next Tom York in the making. I'm very much looking forward to hearing them play live. I'll make sure to bring my earplugs, though. I got sensitive hearing, and it sounds like they really blast it. 
Anyway, if you liked this episode of Talking About the Passion, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Sign up for the Niagara Moon mailing list for weekly updates on the podcast and for my band, Niagara Moon. Go to niagaramoonmusic.com and scroll down to enter in your email address. Find the podcast on Facebook at Talking About the Passion. I'm also on Twitter at TATP Podcast and on Instagram at Niagara Moon Music. If you want to write to me with any suggestions, questions, or comments about the podcast, you can email tatppodcast at gmail.com. The theme song for talking about the passion is the Niagara Moon song Pantheon Bar off my recent album, Eating Peaches. To finish up the episode, I'm going to play a previous single of theirs called Spring Fever, and then that collaboration with the producer Karmaic that Joey mentioned, a track called Vayu. As always, thank you so much for listening, and be sure to tune in next Wednesday. Also, keep on the lookout for a bonus episode coming later this week. Such a freeze Maybe a